0: since I'm pretty sure I'm the uh, youngest one on the podcast, I'm going to ask, although it's about a bit uh, week late for this, uh, why is this podcast different from all other podcasts?
1: Well, number one, because we're amateurs with real lives,
2: obviously. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I, we don't have any NIL, NIL <laughs> partnerships. I don't have a TV, <laughs> TV gig. Yet, though, if ESPN wants to call me up, I, I'm, I my phone is my That's phone is uh, right ready there. to receive calls. It's SEC
1: bias, right on our podcast.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> we also uh, don't bully the NCAA. I don't know if any of our universities have that power.
2: And you know, we uh, we we have a we have a fundamentally different set of priorities than some some podcasts. I'd say so. Some, We're always feeding uh, mascots,
1: which comes across as a bit weird. What do you think, Jeff?
2: So, uh, yeah, I
0: mean, these are great questions, I, or great answers. I, you know, agree with all the notes. What you were supposed to do is you were supposed to give a history of uh, the book of Exodus from the Bible.
1: Oh, I missed that note. Degree's not in theology, uh, but I, I can tell if you need me yeah, to. That's,
0: oh. that, that's on okay. me, yeah. hope everyone had a good holidays, okay. uh last weekend since it was Passover, Easter, and Ramadan. So, if you're practice of any of the abrahamic religions we hope you had a good uh holiday last week or ongoing in the case of uh ramadan and apologies on uh, us collectively forgetting that it was a very important religious time of year uh last week (laughs) and not getting to recording but uh hope everyone's holidays were great
1: i'm sure they were and i think that's our cold open episode, the fourth recording, fifth episode, fourth recording of Beedra Mascot. We were out last week, uh, all of us enjoying time with our family, celebrating the holidays. So a happy holidays to everybody who celebrates and just a happy season's greeting to everybody if you do not. Uh, my name is Blue and I'm joined by two of my favorite co-hosts. I've got Josiah coming to us from the closet this week with a new, I think that's an actual, is that that oh. professional football? One of the smaller teams, mm-hmm. I think, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, the, the, a little-known uh, franchise, uh, they, they, the Packers up in I, Green Bay. I think Bay. it's one of those names. Maybe they'll bring that professional
1: on. football to the, uh, the capital in the Washington, D.C. area one day. And uh, today, joining us from the cell phone, I think <laughs> Jeff is uh, 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 on the cell phone today.
0: I am on the cell phone as I've, I've had some uh, IT issues getting things set up from the— Humid state of North Carolina, uh, still out visiting family.
1: It's a beautiful place. I was there uh, last weekend visiting my mother, and I had a great time while I was doing it. Uh, This week, we've got a brand new show and another three-course meal for you. We have our appetizer, which I think is going to set a pretty good foundation for us. Jeff is going to bring us that. And then Josiah had a couple of notes, which I'm really excited to talk about. We have our main course, which I will be handling this week, uh, which is going to talk about some different rule changes, our first in a long-running series. And then finally, uh, we're going to have a dessert, which is kind of the impact of the rules on how... The bodies uh, of the players, and I think that's that's a broad term. It could be bodies of people, players, and then the bodies physically of the players themselves. and Josiah is going to give us an explanation on that. But to bring our appetizer into focus, mm-hmm. uh, Jeff, why don't you kind of give us an idea of how you want to set the table for us and kind of what the whistle, so to speak, for everyone who's going to be listening? It.
0: Yeah. So, just kind of let everyone know. This is obviously a very rule-centric uh, episode this week. So we're going to kind of start with what the baseline level of rules were kind of at Rutgers-Princeton and those early sets of games in the 1860s and 1870s and the even before that history that Josiah is going to give a brief overview of.
2: Yeah, there's uh, the earliest forms that we know about at least were essentially these like mob like brawls um, with lots of injuries, sometimes just a glorified hazing ritual, you know. and in some cases, that form was actually abandoned by the school because of how bad it was, or outlawed by the school. Like, we're not doing this anymore. Um, and, you know, it came over from England, boarding boarding schools, that sort of tradition of just going out and mess, you know, hitting each other in the yard. Um and I mean, you know, early enough that like, can you carry the ball was a real question. Uh, can you kick people? You know, is a, you know, is it legal to throw a punch like that? Some kind of, was when it, the, it was that the you know that, was the that, that town sort of a vibe, and it. And right? it it's, Yes. Yes. Yeah. And then but, you know, eventually it got sort of that was pushed aside a little bit for a slightly a slightly less right. bad or at least more formalized game in around yeah. 1863. Yes, kind of, um, all these different boarding so.
0: schools and sometimes alumni groups in, in different towns in England got together and set up the first formalized set of rules in 1863 um, with a group called the Football Association. Uh, Yes, that FA, uh, if you're a big uh, British soccer fan, this is the FA that (laughs) now hosts the FA Cup and runs soccer in England. Um, The first set of rules that they put together in 1863 were the four formalized set of rules, but they weren't entirely uh, codified of everything. So, for example, there is no set team size. Um, There are also a number of differences that really show that difference between we aren't sure if this is what will become soccer what will become rugby yet so you had goals that they had no crossbar they were infinite height similar to if you kick a field goal if it's up in space as long as it's between the uprights i guess it's a uh uh there were no refs at that point yet um there were also no goaltenders at that point um and so when you had your first game in the U.S., a um, recorded game in 1869 between Rutgers and Princeton, you had still some negotiating room between the two schools, even though they were played based on a rule set from the F.A. Um, so, for example, it was 25 a side. So that's 50 people on a football or soccer field playing. Um, they then... As different schools start playing, you have some other influences growing in, as well as in England at the time you would have later in the 1860s and 1870s, you would actually have a formalized break between what would become soccer and what would become rugby, where some of the more codification of you could run with the ball, we have uprights, et cetera, that ended up with, with rugby, and then what would become Soccer, where you start having, okay, we've got crossbars, we've got goaltenders, etc. cetera. Um, and now, so. The, I have a question. Yeah.
1: If I could just just jump in really quickly. Uh, in the Rutgers Princeton game, one of the because the rules were undetermined, a Rutgers player picked the ball up with his hands and ran it in for a score. They called it a run at the time. Um, there was big consternation at the time, right, at, uh, with the FA rules that they did know.
0: Yeah, so that was... There was still some level of debate, but yeah, it was... The direction was more, this should be a kicking game. The other thing that was a big point of debate that eventually led to what would eventually be the rugby football union that would found kind of the formalized rules for rugby was, like, could you kick someone in the shins? Like, literally, that was a rule debate of the the soccer camp said no, and what would be the rugby camp said yes. Um which is just sounds the most painful thing uh, to say, yeah, this is going to be allowed in the rules that you can just kick people in the shins. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so as as you have some other schools starting to play um, in North America, you have an introduction of what are these more rugby-like rules into the rule set, and kind of the first game that probably almost is what we'd imagine looks more like a rugby-style, American football-style game was between Harvard and McGill, where McGill was playing a much more rugby-style game. Harvard gets introduced to that. They really enjoy this style. They spread this style to many other American schools. So, in theory, you could say American football was in, was invented by Canada. Blue, you did some research that Canada may be stretching
2: it a bit.
1: Yeah, I so... The Football Hall of Fame, the Professional Football Hall of Fame is in Canton, Ohio, which and my geography is a little uh, a little touchy. I've been trying to uh, kind of remember where it is, but Canton is in that kind of north east. It's, it's near Cleveland. So it's up by the Lake Erie, but it's not on Lake Erie. Um, but Canada and America are separated by a lake. And the first cl- the closest of and I call this ancient football, but the first game of the, with those rules was played in Canton. In fact, I think there's where they play the uh, Hall of Fame game on that high school field, I think that field or that location is where the first, quote, quasi-American football with, I think, the a set number of players on the field that's less than 25 with um, um, yard markers but not yard lines and a field that approximated what is now a football field was played and then that was just exported to Canada. So, yes, McGill did have the first official on-paper game, or at least that we can find records of. The The search is ongoing. Uh, in fact, I believe the NFL is doing a search. At, the to- at this time, there's an initiative by the NFL to find some of these first games uh, of the barnstormers. The barnstorming era is what they call it. But from what I can find, as close as I can make it, the commercial uh, during the Super Bowl where they said Canada gave us football is at best... <laughs> misleading um, and that they were more or less copying a form of football that they saw themselves that was being played in Ohio. Uh, But that being said, they did do a lot to formalizing it. And the first professional American style football league is the Canadian Football League. And the first championship is the Great Cup. So there is a lot of credence to what is being said there of, of, of Canada being big into football.
0: But the kind of mythology that we have of college football is coming from the New England schools, and it's still they're they're taking credit from you know a bunch of folks in Ohio and Canada. Uh, so yeah. absolutely, good job for Ivy, Ivy League institutions uh, stealing it from from some folks that aren't getting credit. <laughs> um, this this has never happened again after after football. That-
2: uh, I Links would never steal, so no, no, not give yeah.
0: credit.
1: Not that no. just doesn't sound That's right never at all. happened. It'll never happen again. Um, I do want to ask, though, because one of the things you, you pointed out here in our notes is that there's an alternate history. Could you kind of flesh that out for us of the maybe or the what if of what could have happened?
0: Yeah. So obviously, as you're going to go into the next segment, the rules changed very much from being soccer to a rugby style to what is now American football. And I've kind of always wondered what would happen if we just stuck with those FA rules and then kept with the later changes that would come with, with the FA rules throughout um, the tail end of the 19th century and, and through the 20th century of what would the f- culture around football in America look like? Because we you can talk in theory about on-field success um, of, of if we didn't have a competitor to... Uh, soccer what it would look like and that that's a fun conversation but i think what's more interesting is what changes about how we have a culture around a sport we call football because lots of cultures around soccer internationally vary and some have a lot of similarities to the culture we have around football american football in the u.s so I've kind of always thought, though, where some there are some differences, how would that align? So things like a lot of how bands develop and rehearse shows is very dependent on the existence of yard lines and hash marks. You plot out um, as you are rehearsing where you stand based on relative locations to yard marks and hash line and ha- or, you know, yard lines and hash marks. So. In my mind, I wonder, do we have marching band in the same way um, that we would or that we do now if we have a sport that does not have yard lines Um, or.
1: So I want to push back on that just just a little, because one of the things that's really special and again, speaking as a HBCU double alum, HBCU marching bands are not actually descendant from that idea of being on a football field. They're descendant from African-American soldiers returning from World War One, where one of the few jobs that African-American soldiers could have outside of being a cook was being a musician. And so a lot of them came back from World War One. With the skill set of being in a military-style marching band, kind of your parade style, your show bands, and your high-stepping, your very different marching style. That if you ever watch, maybe say, a traditional, uh, like a Big Ten band or an or, or SEC band and how they perform, and then look at an HBCU band from the same state, it's very different. One example I try to point at is UVA. Uh, Used to have a scatter band, and then Virginia State had a very in your face show band, and they were very different styles. And so I think, even without the yard lines, the HBCU bands would have developed in a pretty similar fashion because HBCU bands very wildly, but don't typically put a big emphasis on the marching show. So marching in formations or sets, is a, it's a very different for an HBCU band because they're more about playing the music, dancing, putting on a show, even the high stepping. That's, you know, if you're high stepping, it's hard to look down at where you're going. And so yard markers are kind of, they're immaterial, so to speak.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you definitely see that. I know the times that I've I've watched HBC, HBC bands, it is very much a the formations are not nearly as intricate and complex as you know core style bands or even yet the, the kind of That's right. 10 bands that are those are two also very different styles, but do tend to emphasize formation um, as a big part of it. So yeah, I think you would probably have a style that comes comes out of playing music and the musicality being a bigger part of it than than marching. If you aren't creating it, if you don't have the yard lines that are then an organizational tool, um, it is much more of a, you know, blocks like you would have in a parade band. And then like I said, the emphasis could shift into, into musicality over, um, that being part of it with formation.
1: Um I think you're absolutely right. So I Yeah. Go ahead, Josiah.
2: Well, I was going to say what's interesting to me in this conversation is we've talked about how football got leveraged in ways to create the identity of a, of a university, and I feel like it would be interesting to see how that would play mm. out around a different sport like soccer, something where the construction of it's just different, like it flows in a very different way, you know, the counting up clock that just it doesn't stop, you add time, but you, you know, there's a, sure. per, I mean, it's a you pretty set length yeah. generally, in general for this, and yeah, right and so it's not like a football game where, you know There's a... There's so many stoppages, especially if you're yeah. watching like a passing-centric team and the first down stops the clock rules, you know. So the length of the game can be widely varied. Um, and you know, we have four quarters, so there's things that happen between Go quarters, play clock, um, cultural yeah. stuff yeah. there. And even just the yeah, play clock. The things like um, but even like mascots, like you've talked about, Jeff, in, in a lot of European settings, there isn't a mascot for a soccer team in the same way necessarily that there is a like a pro football team in the States because of just how the fans become more of that mascot than like, you know, a big stuffed panda bear or whatever, you know, it, it, and I'm in, I wonder whether that would have followed that course and been more of a no mascot branding would have looked yeah. a lot different in the way, in that European I, I think style. It comes or if, to I, I don't think like this is more like a, I don't know. It'd be interesting of to some state. of them
0: use the breakages as performance opportunities. Yeah. And so you right. are very much changing.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you,
0: you probably don't have as much involvement from things like cheerleader groups that mascots are often part of, um, or the mascot performances because you don't you don't have the the stops mm-hmm. in play providing the same opportunities. Um, things like bands that you know will probably end up being more acceptable yes. that bands play you know are able to play through the game, and they can run chance that way. Um, but you, you're right, you probably don't have the developing of, you know, as intricate of cheerleading as its own art form that we do in the U.S. because you don't have a stoppage of play that they can do a lot of the performances that, that cheerleading squads do now.
1: Uh, I want to ask a question about that because I, I don't watch much soccer. You'll forgive me, but after a goal, I see the players celebrate. So you'll see the players run. They'll do maybe they'll do the jet motion, or they'll take their shirts off, or whatever. But there doesn't the crowd may cheer a little, but there's there's no music. And after a touchdown, the band plays the fight song. And so, is there a similar maybe that i am just not cognizant of or haven't seen? But after you know, even after a hockey goal, they play the foghorn. So is there something similar? In in soccer, international soccer, where they cheer in that way,
0: it, it'll it depends very much on your specific team. So a lot of clubs will have a specific song that they will play after um, a goal. I think it's Bayern Munich does like has the Can Can song that plays after they they okay. they do a goal and they they have that in the stadium. So I think you still have <laughs> something similar. And I think the level of resonance that a fight song has might become that, like you might have, because you're doing this before recorded music, and if you already have the band in the stadium, which you probably already do, because a lot of the history of bands in the U.S. comes from, at a lot of institutions, comes from RGC. Um. So it's very likely that mm. the bands mm-hmm. are still providing the entertainment and the songs. So that may still exist, but it is is very club-to-club dependent to an extent.
2: Yeah, and that makes sense too. And, you know, I wonder if... Professionalism that we see in some of the soccer leagues uh, across the world outside of the United States. I, I also wonder about the amateurism model. Would it have survived that sort of shift? And would we just be in a completely different space with I NIL have thought about this a lot. or whatever that would have been called? Like, like, this,
0: is, this is one of the other big things amaturism. that I think about. Um, just because soccer abandoned amateurs. Now, there was debate but it went away as being the heart as being a hard rule in the 1890s. Um, And part of that was soccer got very popular in the North of England where there were more people who were playing, who were um, working class and they wanted the ability to supplement their income because they needed that money more than it being a sport that was entirely coming out of a a middle-class background where, or an upper-class background, and and those folks not needing the money, but enjoying um, having it being apart from those concerns. So if that goes away in England, and granted, it took quite a while for there to be the salaries that you could be full-time as a player. That really didn't happen until mm. um, the 30s, and then the salaries being kind of what they start being in professional sports more broadly is not until post-World War II where, where you're making, you know, really big amounts of money. And then, you know, it takes even until the eighties where it's similar to this is a generational, uh, you know, the eighties, nineties, and where it's a generational amount of wealth. Um, but I think you still have a case of if we're playing the same sport, And guys can potentially leave, even if there are a what would be an NFL, even if the NFL put in similar rules to what the NFL is now on um, playing after college where you have to wait a specific time before you would get drafted. Um, If you say, well, I've played a year in college, I've lit it up, or I've been playing really, really well at a pre-college level and lighting it up, do you just say, well, wait, I can get paid if I go to England or Germany. And you have that happening now a great with playing. a lot mm-hmm. of players. Um, you have a lot of guys that are, that have just mm-hmm. gone straight over. Um, <laughs> and obviously things are changing now that MLS academies and USL academies will let guys go pro- as teenagers, but when that wasn't as big of a thing, you had some players that the first moment they could legally go over, which was probably at 18, they did, and they started playing um, in in Germany or England. Christian Pulisic, for example, was able to go over earlier because he was able to get a Croatian passport because of Croatia's citizenship rules. Um, his grandparents had immigrated from Croatia to the U.S., so he was able to go over to Germany as a teenager go through training with Dortmund, break through at Dortmund as a 17-year-old. Um, and so, you probably then have, well, if there are a lot more players that can maybe do this, that just skip a college system, does that change where, to keep a college system, you have to offer incentives mm-hmm. to keep guys? Or, um,
1: I have a question about that, um, only because I, I know you said that they pretty much abandoned amateurism, soccer did. Does that explain why the Olympics vacillated between having, Summer Olympics, the Olympic Games vacillated between having soccer and not having soccer?
0: So it's a mix of that where you, you would have, yeah, you know, your best athletes at, in soccer not be uh, amateurs. The other thing to note is FIFA started putting on the world cup in 1930 and there were in there has been a long fight between fifa and the ioc over who should put on the premier event in the sport and fifa obviously wants to put on the premier event in soccer Mm -hmm. um so fifa has created a set of rules to make the world cup a bigger deal than the olympics even though we can now have more professional involvement and so you now have a at the men on the men's side obviously you have a rule where it has to be under 23 players at the olympics versus the world cup it's it's everybody um regardless of age so there is some of that that's obviously well if your best players are going pro as teenagers as 18 year olds they're not going to be able for Olympic squad the other thing is there is a very deliberate uh happening via FIFA of we want the premier event to be our event and not another organization's event to make money off of um the women's side is interesting because the Olympics are a co-equal to the World Cup on the women's side um and some of that is Women's soccer developing at a later point because of, as we kind of talked in our last episode, a lot of rules around who gets to play sports at a legal level um, that really made it more difficult for women's soccer to develop through the 20th century. And it doesn't really come until the last quarter of the 20th century in, in a lot of places. There being investment in women's sports. Um,
2: Title Nine. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> the yeah. best team you've never so, heard of,
0: as they say. Because of that, and because that probably co- that coincides more with when you actually do have your ability to set up professional leagues in women's soccer is a recent development. It's really a 21st century development, um, and so so many players were, in fact, amateurs or semi-pros before the 21st century, and... Um, it's more of a premier event and it took FIFA a little bit to really put in the effort to make a women's world cup. So they are co-equal events for that reason. And also because the club game has taken so long to develop. Um, and that's a very different, different situation. Mm-hmm.
1: So Josiah, I want to ask you a question then. Since we're talking about FIFA and the IOC and their centuries-long mm. gang war, what would you? Who would you put money on in the centuries-long gang war between FIFA and the NCAA? <laughs> oh, <okay.
2: laughs> oh, absolutely on FIFA, man. Like I, 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 I Yeah, I don't think. Uh, I don't think the NCAA is much of. Man, they're they they have gotten no. This is recently though. I'm they talking, don't have a lot of teeth I'm anymore, you know? A, I'm um,
1: talking 19th century, 1900s NCAA.
2: <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So if we're speculating backwards, oh, that's a good point. I mean, there's a possibility that the NCAA Ooh. is just a part of FIFA, you know? Like, that's a good point. that's an interesting thought, too. Like, this is uh, international governance of this sport that's in America. Oh, that's a great point. And, you know... If it's developing where it is, I could see Americans yeah. being like, "Well, isn't this our sport?" Even if it's not, you know, we might claim it anyway. Um, so the, the NCAA and FIFA being kind of one in the same mm. thing would I would absolutely believe that's a possibility, which is even yeah, more a terrifying fact what we know about conversations, conversations, of, them, you know? of
1: FIFA just rolling the NCAA or vice versa. <laughs> i have actually noted
0: that the, the organization all... that does rules is not in fact FIFA. It is what's called IFAB. And IFAB privileges mm. in voting the um, FAs for the four home nations of the UK because of the historic reasons that they've been in the sport. So
2: I think I think um. the NCAA, if
0: they become an organization that runs uh, soccer in the US, would probably have a similar privileged position now. They may not be able to get yeah. everything that the NCAA currently wants or has won throughout history as part of that, but I guess you could say, well, they might make rule allow there to be rules that could limit player movement, particularly player movement of young players, if they wanted to
1: across state line, across borders, yeah.
0: Across, you know, and there are some FIFA rules now that limit, you know, mm-hmm. when players are allowed to. Leave their home country to play somewhere else. You have to be 18 unless they're in the EU, because EU law lets pl- you know lets people move wherever they want for work. So you you'd run up against EU <laughs> law if he was like, okay, we'll just give up. It, it'll be a different it'll be a different age if you are an EU citizen and you want to move elsewhere in the EU. But I think yeah, you could have the N- NC like trying to make a, a you know, If they are part of IFAB or a big stakeholder in FIFA saying, well, if you're under a certain age trying to limit your ability to move abroad, if they see that as a threat to a development of of college football, they're involved.
1: Oh, I think that's a really good point. I I hadn't thought about the rules. And I'm wondering, is that can I use that as a transition? Are you allowing? yeah. Speaking of the development, of, of, the of, college development football, of college football. I want to move us <laughs> into our main course. Uh, and thank you, Jeff. That was that was great because I learn more about soccer every time I listen. And now I'll, I'll sound educated next time Major League Soccer starts up. But uh, I wanted to kind of talk about these rules changes over the ages. And I want to do this in an ongoing series because I, I love ancient football, as I call it. So this is anything from 1869 to around World War I that can be kind of mushy, depending on where you look, because a lot of the biggest names in football that we know of, you know, your Alonzo Staggs, who really changed, literal, quite literally changed the game. Um, you know, and we, we know about him, you know, about your Pop Warners, they actually, you know, they named an entire segment of youth football after him. Uh, your Johns Heisman, you know, who they, you know, he invented some really unique stuff I want to go into, but I'm, a, I'm an HBCU guy. I talk about it a lot. Some of the HBCU coaches also made huge changes to the game that really kind of trickled their way up from the HBCU level. Uh, you know, you have your Eddie Robinson Jr. currently the winningest coach in the history of college football. They had to they had to make many changes of the game. To his whim and because of how great he was as a coach, they had to make changes to kind of try to stop him. Your Jake Gaither, who was a legendary fam U coach, uh, that's Florida Agricultural Mechanical University in Tallahassee. Um, he actually innovated in putting fast players on the field. Like, I, I know this may sound
2: shocking, Jeff is making faces. What is this? <laughs> yes,
1: what speed, I know, you, know, Are you supposed to just kick him in the And yeah, it's not kick him in the shins or anything, but I mean, it It was seen as, it, you know, I, I I have read reports from the era of this is cheating, of putting the fastest players you can find at wide root. I'm not joking. <laughs> um, um, you know, and, and one guy, and you. this is an HBCU coach I really want to talk about. His name was Cleveland Abbott. We called him Coach Cleve Abbott. He was the coach at Tuskegee for 30 years. And he was instrumental in getting the NCAA in 1926 to amend rules on throwing, and I'm gonna quote a newspaper article here, Restrictions of the forward pass by recent changes in the rules will not make a great deal of difference, nor will other changes affect the game materially. And the purpose of this was to stop wild, poorly conceived passes in the closing minutes of the game. (laughs) So for those of you who love the Hail Mary and wild finishes, Coach Abbott did not and wanted to ban that from football. So there would be no passing in the last maybe 30 to 45 seconds of a football game. And I have an Ohio, or excuse me. I have an Oklahoma State fan on here with me, and I don't want to upset him too much. <laughs> but Josiah, would you be for making no more passing in the last sixty seconds of a football game?
2: I mean, I'd be okay with making no more passing on untimed downs. I think that yeah. sounds good to me. Um, you know, and <laughs> no, I'm, no, not a, not at all. Like, man, our bread and butter. We, well, I, I would, I, 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 I'm trying to even imagine the game if that rule had just never changed and carried forward. That's yeah. crazy. I mean, it's so, so different. This is the game. I'm going to give you a scenario.
1: In the, the game that he's talking about, the team threw 52 passes. Now, I don't know if you haven't read the article, and I'm, I'm pretty sure you have, but could either one of you tell me how many passes the other team completed?
2: Uh, I'm trying to remember. Uh, the answer's three. Oh.
1: So oh. I can see a scenario where if you're throwing 50 times a game and completing three, they are ill-conceived, it's not well-practiced, and it's going to be the game dragon. Yep. Nothing's changed, everybody. Nothing's changed in 100 years. The game has not changed since 1926. And so, and again, I want to be clear about this. Tuskegee was a power at the time. This is before the split between Division you know, 1A and 1AA don't exist yet. And so Tuskegee is a major power in black football, HBCU football. Cleve, Coach Abbott won six uh, black national championships. Four of them in a row. So they went, They he's got seven undefeated seasons to his name, you know, consecutively six of those happened. So he, he, this is a great coach at a great program. And he's saying about the game, look, we're beating you bad. You can't just throw the ball 70 times a game and hope to just hope they hope things happen. And, and so I kind of want to go to the next step on that. So I talked about Alonzo Stagg. Alonzo Stagg is legendary Yale football coach, you know, re- literally changed the game. You know, I, could either of you imagine a football game without the huddle? And we talk about it, we just talked about it. So Josiah, could you imagine a game without there being a huddle?
2: I, I, I can only because of the more recent-ish okay. invention of the no-huddle-hurry-up offenses, but even those only work because play-calling was, like, formalized inside a huddle, and then we could move it to the sidelines. But other, if you didn't have that ever, like, that's... Also, Jeff, nah, what the snap? I, I, it's hard. I can't fathom that.
0: Um, a lot of sports that are more fluid, like, you know, basketball, hockey soccer like you see
2: mm-hmm, how mm-hmm.
0: coaches are trying to communicate and how players are trying to communicate and it is chaotic it is difficult yeah it's tough and so, it doesn't work <laughs> no and so to hide i the can't imagine trying to do something that is entirely complex set set pieces which is the you know, plays are a series of set pieces i can't imagine trying mm-hmm. to do that competently Without an ability to have the huddle, and you even see in sports that are in theory more fluid, if they have set moments, they do a huddle. Like they do, they you huddle up in basketball.
1: They do. They stop the game. Okay, Mm -hmm. well that's right. The huddle and the snap were both invented by Coach Stagg. He came up with them, and also invented the play, literally invented the playbook (laughs) and play art. And I'm going to ask you, Jeff. Have you seen, and I've seen these, so I'm going to ask you if you've seen them, Purdue's uniforms pre-numbers.
0: They look kind of just like sweaters, right?
1: Yeah, they're just sweaters with a giant P on them. Now, Josiah, I haven't seen Oklahoma Mm -hmm. States, but I have seen Mississippi States, and they had a bulldog on them. They just had a bulldog on the chest. No numbers. Yep,
0: yep. Home-filled apparel. You've got an opportunity here. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: You're not, a, you're not a
0: sponsor. We have no sponsors at the moment, but I will say uh, <laughs> oh anyone that does like retro stuff like Home Field Apparel, Arbitz Field uh, flannels, uh, you've got an opportunity to make to make uh, some really fun stuff if you go and find like OG football uniforms. I would I would buy a sweatshirt buy that replicates that or like a nice sweater. Oh, they're so cool.
1: That's where the script comes, for, comes in in handy, right? When you have a script oh, yeah, of your absolutely. mascot. Coach Stagg invented putting mm-hmm. numbers on the uniforms. As a referee, not as a coach. This was as a referee so that they could assign penalties. So I do want to talk about this because, Jeff, you talk about rugby all the time. We just talked uh, a significant part about the kind of the split between rugby and soccer. Pop Warner literally invented blocking. And I have a note saying that this is illegal in rugby. Yes,
0: you you cannot block. It it is referred to as interference. It is a penalty. You cannot block or the ball carrier in rugby.
1: So let's. I want to kind of. I, I want to kind of really drill down on this because in American style football, obstructing the defender's path to the runner is very important. Whether you do that with direction or your play calling yes. or speed, which I guess that should be illegal. But when you use large people to block the path of other large people, that is considered art in football, and I love it. That's one of my favorite aspects of the game. Kind of walk me mm-hmm. down why that type of interference is a penalty in rugby, if you can, uh, Jeff. And then Josiah, I know you've got a note here. I do want to talk about those explicitly forbidden rules. But but Jeff, yep. kind of walk me through. Like oh, if, yeah, I go for to, sure. if you're running, and I'm a, a, a not a ball carrier, and we have our team has possession, and you're running to stop the ball carrier, why would it be a penalty in rugby for me to get in your way?
2: So I think one of the
0: big things is as it's a more fluid game and people are running more at high speed, if you are doing a blocking maneuver, you are much more likely to get hurt if you are moving okay. dynamically quickly than if you are at a set point and just pushing off each other.
1: Okay, that makes sense. I I and hadn't thought it's of that because I kind of similar to collisions. how dangerous
0: um, kickoffs and And punt returns are is because it's a similar situation if if you think about it a game of rugby is just one really really long kickoff return at like a desperate kickoff return where people are doing laterals that is a full game of rugby
2: right a lot of the the things that make
0: (laughs) those moments very dangerous um or what kind of could make rugby very dangerous and how the rules evolved to deal with those situations
1: i got it and so that makes a lot of sense uh, I, I i had arguments in high school where people would always say why do they test the 40-yard dash you'll never run in a straight line for 40 yards and i said you've never watched football before <laughs> we do it literally all the time on the kickoff and punt returns but josiah you've got a note here that talks about dozens mm-hmm. of rules that are not explicitly forbidden can
2: you kind of explain that yeah yeah pop yeah. yeah, Pop Warner, when he was at the Carlisle Indian School doing a lot of... Innovative stuff, including some of the things here, but he's responsible for just a, a ton of rules because he did he he needed to find an, an advantage for his players being you know malnourished at times, very abused, youth from indigenous nations ripped away from their homes. So you know they're not the cream of the crop athletes because of their environment and other things. And, and <laughs> what are the not to say I mean, he had like okay,
0: probably the but... greatest American athlete.
2: One of
0: the- yes. won an, it, won it, an Olympic medal it, yes, in yeah. pentathlon Ex- with shoes he found in the garbage because his shoes got stolen <laughs> yeah.
1: the first the first, pent- <laughs> the, the first one to win the
2: decathlon, I mean, yeah, if, like... if, if I remember correctly
0: yeah it was one of the, the bigger so yeah
2: yeah yeah, an, an incredible athlete. Have one but I mean, not everybody on his team was Jim Thorpe, and so he's looking for. Yeah, Jim you don't. Thorpe Jim Thorpe just door. don't go on trees, right? So he's he's looking for. <laughs> he's he's looking for advantages. And like, you know, there's rules about you can't put the football inside That's your shirt, right. inside that sweater we were talking about. That's because, in part, because of Pop Warner. He's like, okay, well, just hide it in your shirt. They won't know where the ball is. And the sewing patches, and I don't think he was the only one doing this, but sewing patches on their arms that look like footballs so that when the team's looking at them, they're like, wait, now which one has the football? And then a blink. You could probably tell if you took a moment, but in a high action moment, they're like, wait, a- everyone <laughs> looks like there's some kind of football shape on their arm and all kinds of stuff Yes, and and even the rules about you know running out of bounds and then running back oh, in to catch a pass. That's partly because of a play that happened under his, under under old Pop Warner. And I mean, again, he's trying to win. He's trying to get his you know he's got these native kids, and he's like, you're just as good as those guys from Harvard, and we're gonna Correct. show it. We might not win with the brute force that you know we're we're under, undersized, but we're gonna we're gonna beat him. And, and but it's just funny to me where his whole refrain was like, it's not explicitly forbidden in the rules. So I'm gonna do it, and so they had to keep making new rules because Pop Warner kept finding Absolutely. new Pop exploits Warner's and the game, hey, more or less. You know. It's hilarious.
1: <laughs> That's right. I mean, the single wing, I, you know, I really want to put a point on this because uh, I, we have talked about this in our first episode where we talked about the flying wedge, just like a mass of human bodies holding hands mm. or linking arms running down the field and how dangerous that is. And when they told him he couldn't do that Jeez. anymore because, again, okay. his players were undersized. They didn't have the practice time. He said, Mm -hmm. we're going to create a wing on the field. And he made a flying wedge because they said, well, now we're going to have a stoppage of play. So now you have to snap the ball. The single wing was a flying wedge that was static. And just this type of brilliant, Mm -hmm. just the Mm -hmm. idea to put that on the field with a smaller play. Again, these are small players. If you ever look at Jim Thorpe, he was tiny. And it's amazing that... Top Warner was innovating in this way, and so I kind of want to go to probably the best known of all coaches ever. I mean, Heisman is the best known name in college football. Mm-hmm. You know, I know Oklahoma State has a Heisman Trophy winner, uh, 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 probably one of the greatest running backs ever, and we know him mm-hmm. as an association with it. That's Barry Sanders. Uh, Jeff Jeff talks lovingly that he uh, uh, keeps track of the Heisman Trophy voting, if not the winners. And so, I want to kind of talk about John Heisman. Again, best known as being the coach of Georgia Tech and being the coach of Auburn, uh, uh, known for really being a baseball coach. That was his first love. He wasn't really a football coach. And we know 222-0. Everyone knows that's the greatest beating. Cumberland University comes to Georgia Tech and loses in the worst Mm -hmm. fashion. That was all because Cumberland University had baseball players who were ringers. So they were using prof- – this is our professionalism, and amateurism. They had professional baseball players on their college baseball team, mm-hmm. and they beat Georgia Tech like 20 to nothing in baseball. And so this beating in football was a get-back for that. But one of the I things is that – I
0: respect the utter pettiness involved. Oh, absolutely.
1: Oh, absolutely. pettiness this happened is in this and He waited for yeah. the fall to be like, no, oh, we're going to embarrass you. <laughs> And I've read up on this game, guys. Like, I've read the stats on this. Georgia Tech scored every time they touched the football. They did not throw a pass in the football game. Every time Cumberland had the ball, they f- on every play that Cumberland took the snap, they fumbled. And every snap they fumbled was returned for a touchdown. <laughs> it's one of the most thorough beatings I've read about in football. But one oh, of the things man. John Heisman did besides having a trophy named after him that he didn't want to happen, was he invented the coach speech. <laughs> and the first recorded coach, literally recorded, the first audio recording of a coach beaten in, Georgia Tech. I mean, look, the Georgia Institute of Technology, they have the technology.
2: <laughs>
1: they recorded
2: his speech. Absolutely. And I'm going
1: to read it to you. What is this? It is is a prolate spheroid, an elongated sphere in which the outer leather casing is drawn tightly over a somewhat smaller rubber tubing. Better to have died as a small boy than to fumble this football. And, you know, we we talk about Rim of the Titans, it's like... If you you know if you don't miss a block you run a mile. If you drop a pass you run a mile. And if you fumble the football mm-hmm. I will break my foot off in your hind parts and then you will run a mile. And we talk about these flamboyant speeches and it, they all originate from John Heisman. And now we can see why they named this trophy after him. Why our game we remember the Heisman Trophy winners. You know and and I just it's amazing to me that. All of this comes from a small, a small, underfunded technological institute in Atlanta, Georgia. Again, like, he invented quarters. He said, let's break the game up more. I mean, Jeff was talking about earlier, yeah, there's no quarters. We just keep playing until we say it's over or sundown or whatever. He said, let's make the game into four quarters. And he did that because his players needed a break. Because his players were smaller, underfunded, and underfed. It's act it's really brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um and and Josiah, mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you, uh, and then maybe we get mm-hmm. to Jeff. And again, we're talking about Georgia Tech, Institute of Technology. He asked the engineering mm-hmm. department to give him a way to tell his team what the score was that lit up. He
2: admitted the scoreboard. <laughs> Scoreboards. Because there's oh, a picture man. of 222 yep. to zero. Yep. <laughs> he
1: wanted them to know. <laughs> This is the first. This is the first team that yes. we put it up, so you know. And then they had photographers at Georgia Tech because they had the technology to take pictures of that. Now, Jeff, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I could, if you can find this for me. A long time ago, they talked about Purdue created a better light bulb. So, if you ever watch old replays, right when slow motion was introduced, high high frame rate cameras scoreboards flicker, and so do stadium lights, but Purdue has a light bulb that does not flicker. It's a high-frequency light bulb. Do you know anything about that research, Jeff?
0: I do not. Um, I will have to, to go and um, take away from that, but I mean, yeah, it is... It is incredible just the amount of kind of simple-based research that does have those kind of applications, um, and obviously anywhere that is doing a lot of research, um, and Purdue's EE department is is incredible, and they do incredible things. I mean, there were some of the earlier departments to, to have involvement in computers. I think we were one of the early computer science departments to exist as well. So this does not Correct. surprise me, but this is the first time I had um, learned that, although a lot of very early television research um it is interesting some of the inspiration from that
2: mm. actually did come
0: from how people planted and harvested corn in fields and 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 where some of the the early oh, CO2, man, that's two, i mean it makes sense for right? that deep... one of the ins- original inspirations was um someone that had grown up in a rural area and, and did farming and thought about oh yeah if, if we you know we can fire electrons in that pattern. And, and it. so it is very interesting. Um, the inspiration for a lot of that technology can come from some very, very unlikely yeah, places numbers. that, that uh, you know, the TV came from, from agriculture fields.
1: Yeah, NFL put, it was all in black and white with their games on TV, put numbers on the sleeves. Like that was a huge innovation because all the numbers were huge numbers on your chest, they put them on the sleeves Mm -hmm. so that the viewer can tell which team is which. But speaking of that type of impact, and Josiah, I know you wanted to get to the dessert, kind of to leave us with something. What is the impact of the rules on the bodies of football? And you can define bodies in any way you want.
2: Yeah, well... yeah, and in and, and, and in this instance, I'm going to talk very specifically about their, like, physical frames, but we've already mentioned a little bit of the back and forth between how a person's physical stature can affect the way the game is played. I mean, with with Heisman and the Quarters, with Pop Warner and doing all these innovative things, and at times you know, things that be, had to be made illegal because they were too much um, but sometimes, you know, these rules don't happen in a vacuum, they can affect the way a person's body looks and grows um, an example of this well, a, a more innocuous example, I mean, if you look at a player like a punter or a kicker, they're extremely protected by the rules They so they're not usually very muscularly big, they're not built like a linebacker broad-shouldered and stuff Marquise because they don't King need to be exception. to stay safe in the game that's not their job <laughs> That's true. <laughs> that there are exceptions, but there are also guys that you look at. You look at the uh, the kicker on a, on a college team, especially. You look at some of those guys, and they are they are some of them are like you know they're they're my size. You say not also big.
0: Big quads um, and they, a, a in, more... as, uh, My uh yes. My yes. First uncle is a college kicker, and <laughs> yeah, he is a great body type yes. as a as a runner because yeah, you're working out the same, you're working out a lot of the same muscle groups.
2: Uh Mhm but yeah, like upper body's pretty small. He's not, they can make tackles. They're they're good athletes that way, but they're not going to be like every down tackling. Um, but a, a more maybe fundamental shift was back when they changed the rules about substitutions and more importantly about blocking for offensive linemen. Because those guys, if you look at old back in the 50s before these rules really kicked off, they're, they're, they're built kind of like a linebacker. They're long, they're tall, they're narrow, you know, in, in a lot of the way a linebacker is. They're, you know, it means still big and muscular. It's not that they were small, but they're skinnier. And then they started making rules about, well, blocking below the waist, you know, hitting below the waist. Guys can't do that as much anymore. And so it started to make these rules that protected the knees in particular of players like offensive linemen. And once that blocking below the waist thing, hitting below the waist thing became more codified, especially at the pro level, you see linemen, their bodies start to get a lot bigger because they can carry that weight. They can put that pressure on their knees and they don't have to risk getting hit there um and so then that changes body types that you see in the sport and that changes eating habits you know where some of these guys are trying to put on weight that maybe their body just wouldn't naturally carry on its own some guys naturally do but some guys are trying to put make themselves as big as possible so they're hard to push around if you are
0: Um, a more if you have to constantly move mm -hmm. there is a limit to how big you want to be because you wear yourself out yes Um, correct And if you have unlimited substitutions, you can sub guys in and out where you can be big and you can move really quickly, and as long as you're only doing that for, like, 10 seconds at a time, it doesn't matter how big you are. It's very different if you're trying to do that Mm -hmm. for 10, 15, 20 minutes at a time. Um, And so, you know, even basketball guys are bigger and more built than they are in other fluid sports, you know, in soccer, just because it is hard to be able to run for 45 minutes straight, right? Like, yes. I don't say, I, I train for endurance <laughs> yes. sports, and yep. it is any little bit of extra weight, even if it's muscle that, you know, will help you do another stuff, you don't necessarily want that, because it's more stuff you've got to carry around for, mm-hmm. you know, 10 mm-hmm. miles every day <laughs> or whatnot. So... <laughs>
2: Yeah. Yeah. And the relationship though with the rules can go both directions, too. I mean, you've got the rule changes the way a player looks, but sometimes how a player looks in some cases changes the rule. Not all of those are good. We have things like the Johnny Bright incident, which featured the Oklahoma uh, A&M Cowboys, which, you know. Not, not a great moment in our school's history, but if for people listening, not familiar with that, real quick, uh, Drake University had a standout athlete. He was, he was black, very good, Heisman frontrunner type guy, really talented. Uh, they, he played Oklahoma A&M, and they just beat him up all game, all game. And they they'll, there are players from that game that have claimed and whitewashed pieces since then, like, oh, we only hit him once. That's not true. Uh, they beat him up all game. But in one particular hit, which was captured on film and was a Pulitzer Prize winning photograph series. Some guy runs up and hits him in the jaw breaks his jaw in the middle of the game, which is insane There's no reason to do that. You're not getting any advantage in the game from breaking a guy's jaw It was racially motivated racist motivated violence and after that happened we put face masks on all our helmets. And now that's a mandatory thing. And now when, now that we have face masks, we have all kinds of rules that came out of that. And all that became, came from be, some guys who hated somebody because of what he looked like. And suddenly that creates the need for a new rule. So it can definitely go both ways. Um, uh, Blue, I think you had one in particular that you wanted to sort of <laughs> yeah, talk about. So, to your point, like the platoon is, is you know... The platoon is a big deal.
1: Uh, You know, we talk about, again, we talk about football because football has, for the most of our lives, been offense, defense, 11 on 11, 100-yard field, 53-and-a-half-yard wide, uh, goalposts in the middle, hash mark. We we, we know the field is basically unchanged. All of this is kind of the same. But I want to be clear that the Johnny Bright incident is kind of like they brutalized this football player. He survived the game, and they then changed mm-hmm. the rules. We have to put face masks mm-hmm. to protect the players yes. so that no one wants to harm players in that way. I think this is old leather helmet type game, if I remember correctly. Um, and mm-hmm. so yep. one of the things that I wanted to talk about is just if you look at, say, Navy. Navy is, is a small, underfunded. They have the very weight restrictions that Jeff is talking about. Their players can't be above a certain height, yes. nor can they be above a certain weight. I mean, there's someone who's gonna point out that uh, uh, Robinson, the Admiral, was was seven feet tall at the Naval Academy. And I'm gonna point out that he never served after the academy, his academy days were over um, because he was seven feet tall and he couldn't fit any on any of the ships. <laughs> but the point is, <laughs> they're still playing college football at the highest level. They're doing it with smaller players. They're beating these teams with bigger players. I want to point that out. Mm -hmm. They may be on hard times right now, but forget that Mm -hmm. for a moment. And they're doing it by stretching the rules as far as they can go. Because they are hitting below the waist and what's known as cut blocking. And somehow, not illegal. Mm -hmm. And... Again, I'm not against it. I think that <laughs> I love the triple option. I think triple option is beautiful. And Josiah, you're going to forgive me. 2014 Orange Bowl is still one of my favorite games. I, I apologize. Uh. We don't like inner post conflict on our show, <laughs> but that is one of my favorite games because Georgia I know, Tech, and I, I think Johnson's <laughs> final season, was playing a masterful game. And to be fair, Mississippi State scored a lot of points in that game. So. But the point I'm getting at is these are teams that find ways to win, and they find ways to stretch Mm -hmm. those rules that we may have to change them. I I love the air read. I talk about it all the time. I want to see points, and I want to see the ball flying around the field. I want to see athletes getting Mm -hmm. the ball in their hands. We talked about it before where we put fast players in positions, and everyone was like, ah, you can't do that. I want to see that. You know, Purdue is. Yeah,
0: right. I mean, of
1: course, uh, legendary coach Jeff Brom. I guess maybe Purdue fans might not think he's legendary, but I do. Jeff Brom is now leaving. He was running the air raid.
0: I mean, and, even before and, that, Joe Taylor was one of the yes. kind of early, early innovators in going in a spread direction. Um, it wasn't yes. exactly the air raid as you know we mm-hmm. had seen Hal Mummy or Mike Leach, but it shares a lot of principles.
1: It was West Coast football. He was a, a, a mm-hmm. he was a West Coast disciple, so he was timing, mm-hmm. throwing the ball quickly, using the passes, to run game, and you get a Drew Brees out of that. Yeah, I mean, I I'm not going to say mm-hmm. no to a Drew Brees, and you know he changed the game and maybe not the direction of, of of how Purdue football thinks about football because they they went back to kind of under the center, but Jeff Brom certainly has. And the hire after Jeff I'm, uh Sorry, Jeff, you can give me his name, but he's a Brom disciple or he was a Brom staff member. Um, uh, the guy who they hired after yeah, Brom, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah,
0: this was is... Illinois' defensive coordinator. Um, and I mean, he's also, he has hired uh, Graham Harrell as his OC. So still going in that even more of a pure air raid direction. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, then they honestly were over uh, Ryan, Ryan Walters.
2: And, I mean, again, with the Air Raid and body types, you know, Air Raid is designed to compensate for undersized offensive lines. You spread them out more so that you throw quickly. They don't have to block for as long. Um, You can have small, quick receivers. Because they're not having to jump over guys, they're just running to space, doing the mesh stuff, and you know it's quick routes, quick throws. You're not, you're, it's, a, it's a, it's a scheme that works really well with smaller-bodied guys. It's not that old-school Alabama lineup eye formation, run it down your throat kind of thing. Like, that part of the innovation, part of the blasphemy of it at the time when they're like, what, you throwing the ball? You never run it? Um, is because, yeah, well, we don't have the... Guy. Our guys right. aren't big enough to do that smash mouth stuff, but we can still score a lot of points. We can still move the ball really well. Like... And it's funny, too. It's a dynamic style. Like, Mississippi State's no. air raid was not necessarily that fast. We just, and we were running leeches, pure, uncut stuff, which kind of looked a little dinosaur-like to me at times. But, I mean, it was still working. you know. But he's not going fast. He's just moving it steadily down the field and in little, little chunks, you know. Exactly and then you can have smaller guys oh, if you want to do that.
0: One of the things I love about football is there is no one solution to the problem. It's a big field, Correct. you've got 11 guys, but people mm-hmm. vary so much in, in competition yes. and strength, and teams are able to leverage the variety of strengths of people to create different sorts of matchups that they can win. So, if you've got the big guys,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you can play a power game. If you've got fast guys, you can play a more spread game. If you've got, you know, People that are quicker readers. to thinking <laughs> you can you know do more of option stuff and so there's not one solution so watching and particularly watching college football you see so much variety of applications to solve the same problem and it's incredible to watch because you're not ever really seeing the same thing <laughs> twice and i mean you're not even seeing the same thing twice if you're watching just in conference games and with <laughs> as wide a variety of teams there are in non-conference, you're seeing a huge mass of different approaches to the same game.
2: Mm-hmm. And it's,
0: I mean, in theory, it's all coming down to, how do you maximize your player's strengths against the weaknesses of the people against you? And how do you manipulate space to help that even more? And I mean, that's something that's in common with a lot of sports where <laughs> manipulating space is a huge part uh, and trying to get people Using all sorts of variety mm-hmm. of tricks to isolate matchups and isolate people in space. And it is just so incredible to watch. There are a million different approaches to it. And you compare that to something like baseball, that one of the big crises of baseball is people have done enough, enough statistical analysis to know what is really, really effective in baseball. Right. <laughs> and so you end up with, with the three true outcomes where it's, well, <laughs> you hit home runs you get walks you get strikeouts and that's really really effective if it's you know my team that's applying it all for it let's win games but if you're just trying to watch baseball and I like I'm not super emotionally connected to any team I just like going to the ballpark sometimes it's hard to watch that style and that's the one effective style Football, there well, are like 20 I, I... different ways. There, there are a multitude of ways that things work, and so you get variety. And a lot of those ways that really, really work well are a lot of fun to watch. Um, and so I think it's it's a challenge for something like baseball to say, okay, mm-hmm. how do you try and inject that little bit of variety? And I think some of the rule changes that they've done this year, and particularly with trying to make that makes a lot of base running much more effective. Um, and steals much more effective, it, it gives a lot more options to try different things, and base running is fun to watch, because it is fun to watch feats of athleticism. It's, it's another thing that football does really well. Is you can see, yes.
2: no, that, that dude is yeah. fast, mm-hmm. and he's doing yes. stuff, or those are quick
0: motion. Oh, yeah. Like I, said, I, I train for endurance races. I run in straight lines a lot. It is hard to turn when you're going in a straight line. And it is tough yes. on ankles and knees <laughs> to turn, yeah. even, yeah. like, turning really around against. a corner. I trained <laughs> my MCL turning around a corner in my neighborhood once. The incredible—oh, I'm going to do, like, run a sprint and then quickly turn a corner and keep running a sprint it is just such an insane feat of athleticism.
2: Yes. I still watch DeAnthony Thomas from Oregon Highlights because that man was so, so fast, but also so elusive. I mean, yeah, you know, like I'll watch Barry Sanders. I'm Oklahoma State person. Sure. But like DeAnthony Thomas, just like in ways that I hadn't seen. And there are other small speedster guys, but just, yeah, the way he could turn a corner at he that it was unreal. Sometimes what he could do, if you just yeah, those those made Oregon a guys, man, him. it was uh, amazing. I have such a, I had such a love affair
1: with Oregon when <laughs> or, when, yeah. when Kelly was at his peak. But I'll tell you this, I know, Mike I know. Bellotti. Mm-hmm. I, I know a lot of people don't talk about him because he became the AD. Those Mike Bellotti teams were unbelievable. And one of the things that we, we talk about 2007 and and it's everyone's favorite season. Sure, whatever one of the things we never talk about is that season is the rise of modern Oregon. Because to that point, Oregon was always a they got Mm -hmm. close, but Dennis Dixon sprained his knee again. Or (laughs) oh man, Joey Harrington is great. He's got a heart problem. So don't hit him too hard, Detroit. But like that 2007 season, we mm-hmm. talk about how Appalachia State went to Ann Arbor and blocked that field goal and beat Michigan. We never talk about how Oregon went to Ann Arbor and beat Michigan senseless. Random Michigan off their own people field. do.
0: And I recall <laughs> one, one of the things to note <laughs> is one of the reasons that Michigan brought in Rich Rod is they saw App State beating them with a word, spread and Oregon beat Oregon beat them with a spread and they're like wait a minute this is the future we can't be left behind
1: and they didn't commit i can't beat them always and again the michigan folks on our discord if you ever get a chance check out the moon crew discord they always they're always cautious when i bring that up because i always bring it up like the rise of oregon modern oregon maybe not because my conception of Oregon was fun team with a lot of great uniforms and they played in the toilet bowl 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. I this, I know there's a lot of folks out there that don't remember <laughs> this, but Oregon and Oregon State played a game in an absolutely atrocious weather to a 0-0 tie in the 90s. Literally, the football point uh-huh. point up in the mud and stood still. Um, but like... Bolatti came in and changed all that this is when Phil Knight made all his millions and of became basically T. Boone Pickens of the Northwest I, you know rest mm-hmm. in peace T. Boone Pickens but you know mm-hmm. he was like I can do that and Oregon <laughs> becomes this monster program but that rise in 2007 and the proliferation of the spread is because of them having that great season in 2007, beating Michigan, and then almost, I think they might have won the Pac-10 that year. I, I have to go back and check. But US, uh, Southern Cal is on the decline. Oregon is on the rise. Washington is hapless. Like Again, Washington not being good is weird to me because... They should be good every year in my mind. They were hapless. And Oregon kinda ran away with the pack literally ran away with the pack ten under uh Chip mm-hmm. Kelly. So
2: Undersized. And did it with that guys that would have been called undersized? With too small. As which
0: very much yeah. fits like they what is interesting they, is they in they could study, w- if Phil Knight I don't know if this is an intentionality of of pressure or it just happened that way. It so fits the Nike brand to, like, to make this around being fast. Um, <laughs> so Nike starting as me. track sheets. right? Mm-hmm.
1: So it's strange to me that the owner of Nike, a guy who ran track at Oregon, wants there to be fast guys on his football
2: team. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, when we talk about institutional culture, Oregon is yes. perhaps yes. one of yes. the track schools, if not the track yes. school in terms of historical I'm not saying like recently they're the dominant program there are other programs Ooh. too but like man you know when I lived in Oregon we were at Oregon State my dad was doing his doctorate there um, so they're technically my rivals but like you know just the even just the reference yeah. that they yeah. spoke about and Prefontaine even now, I mean, and a other lot of athletes that went through the track, track program
0: are hosted at Oregon Incredible. Night. yes put a lot of money into building a beautiful facility yes, exactly. um, that is specifically for track field um. And there, yes, there are it's, not it's many amazing. great facilities for for watching track and field in the U.S. So
1: it's it's Oregon, Texas, mm-hmm. the 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 Longhorns, Austin. Their track facility is out of this world. And then mm-hmm. uh, uh, one of the east the East Coast, facility, I think it's Florida, Gainesville. I I I think those are the three that I can think of across the country for regionals, um, and. I, I watched a track meet recently at Texas and and at Oregon, to your point, and I was shocked that they had all the events. They have everything. It's like, you want to do it? We got it. It's incredible. Yeah. You know, as no, I ran a steeple chase, so it's like <laughs> they had that set up for people. I'm like, oh, my gosh. They fell in. <laughs> You're going to be wet now. <laughs> you know, that, like, the thing It's very exciting to me. But – it, yeah. it, you're absolutely right that Cohesive absolutely culture absolutely right and, speed and it doesn't is help speed. that you know your sugar daddy is giving you new outfits every week yeah it doesn't it doesn't,
0: doesn't hurt and I will say personally <laughs> a lot of the highs of Chip Kelly doesn't... Oregon were or a decent amount of the highs were like when my wife and I were dating in college and we'd be up probably more often than we you know later than we are now and so like What's on at, like, 10, either after, like, we're getting back from Purdue football and we're just hanging out and throw something on TV. Or there was a while yeah. where, you know, she was driving back back and forth from Indy because she graduated a year before me. And so, like, one of us is up waiting for the other. And, it's you know, it's a lot of these Pac-12 games. So I've got a soft spot for, for Oregon football and, and a lot of the Pac- Pac-12 games. Um, yes. Teams for that reason, in addition to Moe, has a lot of family that's on the West Coast. And so they've got some alumni connections to, to some of those schools. Um, her grandpa was like a San Diego State baseball legend. Um, I oh, Wow. <laughs> I'm going to, at some point, I'm going to put together wow. a set of interviews of people in Moe's family because unfortunately her grandpa has passed, but they have some great stories okay. of him as a athlete as well as, as a mm. person. Um, Because he was also an NFL ref. He played high-level badminton. Um...
1: That's amazing. We have to get these in. We have to get them in. Yeah, I. I, one of these days, and again, this all goes back to 2007, which is kind of like that inflection point from all sides. But uh, that was the last great year of Cal football. (laughs) And I want Cal, again, I know Cal is like, God damn, Skittles went there? Are you sure? Aaron Rodgers? Deshaun? How did they... They're all... At the same time? And they didn't... Are you sure? It's like, they had some talent on that California Golden Bears team. The band is on the field. Yeah, band Marshall runs on to
0: the school that I think of as, like... Yeah, so they're doing insane things with, like, supercomputers and physics. Is just a mind-blowing concept.
1: It's a great school. And he's very smart. Yeah. He, like... He, that plays he plays up the Bay, Oakland, you know, I'm from Oakland. He plays – he is wildly intelligent.
2: He gave all financial advice to his teammates all the time in the NFL because he, he was that guy. Like, he, he didn't know, like, his how do his I manage my money? money. He he's, he's like, all right, let a me tell here, you. But yeah, I I probably, that, yeah, I think that
0: overclouds the fact that, yeah, it would not surprise me that, that he is – smart it's just a weird his, the, the, his the, whole yeah the I mean, the I'm, whole I'm just here so that i don't Alfred get fined
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> so Turns anyways yeah oh what fun i love talking to you uh, guys because you guys see the game the way i see the game i do want to leave us with a final question and again we have a website <laughs> jeff what's, what's that website
0: it is feeder you
1: can find everything about it. Color coming soon, but all of our uh, our socials are on there, and we have a place for you to send us questions. And I think Jeff, do you get those, or do you? Or do they, we have to log in to get to those.
0: Our, we've got an email account that I believe all three hosts have access to. So, um, awesome. if if some questions, be... some comments come come to mm-hmm, those, mm-hmm. we can all uh, be able to see those, and we'll definitely add those to uh, some future shows.
1: Absolutely, and and uh, we have new art That's that we right. have created. Hopefully, we'll get that on this new episode, and I'll be uh, looking to see if I can make up something even Mm -hmm. better with the Feed Your Mascot and maybe some sort of other neon lights. So, the question I want to ask, what rules of football, college or pro, stand out to you as something that is either strange, weird, or just downright fun to talk about and see happen? Josiah, anything, any weird rules stand out to
2: you? I'm going to go Canadian Football League um, because it's professional football, the Rouge. I love that you can punt out the back of an end zone and score a single point. I think that's perfect. It's so beautiful, like, you know, and it it changes the game in some really fun ways. You'll see sequences where guys are punting and they punt to the end zone and someone in their end zone will punt live ball back to the other team that punted and they start punting back and forth to try and see if they can, you know, get a field position thing. Like I wish that idea of punting out the back of an end zone or and fumbling out the back of yeah. an end zone results in a single point. One more opportunities like, that to to would be so cool. Yeah. Like Jeff, yeah. what do you think is a weird rule exactly,
1: that you exactly.
0: want to highlight for people? Well, rule. One of my favorite rules things is Ed Hockley, uh, Doing doing with explanations after uh, events. I think this is this is one thing that all, it's not all sports have that the ref actually explains why a certain penalty happened or after a review what had happened in yes. the review. And it is such so great as someone that didn't necessarily grow it grow up playing it to a very high level, or grow up playing it at all. I didn't play football at all as a kid, so learning about some of the insane little intricacies through those explanations and being like, OK, so this is this is how it's applied. And, and having that verbosity of explanation is just wonderful.
1: A lot of the NFL refs are for our lawyers in their day jobs. Ed Hockley is one of them. Um, I also love that uh, you'll see me in the discord chopping it up with rules stands, arguing about the intricacies, waiting on a judgment. We're like Supreme Court lawyers <laughs> arguing about what's going to happen in these events. Um, this, is, uh, this is a personal for me. I uh, love bending the rules. So in, in most American football, you cannot mm. have a player moving towards the line of scrimmage at the snap. That's a penalty. College, professional, and uh, I believe Canadian, but I'll have to double check to make sure.
2: I think, no, in Canadian, you can have as many men in motion as you want, and I believe well, I want, you can have a certain number moving towards yeah, the I line. I may be
1: wrong on that because, again, Fine. I'm only watching a little bit of Canadian. But in arena football, you can have a single player sprinting towards the line of scrimmage. And I love ball goes here. I, I love seeing a coach get excited and explain it and and just go, look, ball goes here. I love when a, a skilled player is sprinting toward the line of scrimmage in arena football, breaking the line just at the snap of the timing and then blowing past the DB. Love it. And then the safety is like, I got to cover him. Mm-hmm. And then he misses this, his moment and then the ball goes here. So that's my personal favorite rule is it, 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 one of them is the arena football. You can sprint toward the line of scrimmage. So we'll be looking for yours in the uh, uh, for our next episode and we're going to hopefully be able to get this up in the uh, uh, self-promo section so we can add uh, solicit some questions for some folks for our next episode. Maybe we'll do a mailbag for episode six. I'll consult with my co-host for that. But we're going to sign out for the week. It's hopefully lovely to hear from all of you. Uh, Jeff, what, what do you want to sign out on uh, before we go?
0: Um, I'll say for folks that are doing any sort of training, this is the uh, probably among your last few weeks of it not being terribly uh, hot. So anyone that is out there doing training for... Uh, Running races or endurance races, please enjoy that you can actually do things in the afternoon and not die. Because I, what I what know that's right ending now. soon. I am training for a <laughs> uh, Olympic distance triathlon in Terre Haute. That's in mid May.
1: Ooh, good luck. One of my my I, I talk Ooh. about my mysterious Ooh. Butler friend. Very nice. been friends for for many years. He went to Butler. Uh, he describes Terre Haute as the middle of nowhere with a prison. And I don't know if Indiana folks will take kindly to that, but that is how he describes it. It's, he it's is not, from Indianapolis.
0: It is n- Terre Haute does not have the best reputation as a place. I know plenty of people that have gone to school there, and they're great people. It seemed like some of them had a, a good time at uh, school. Indiana State, right? Indiana State and Rose Holman are both out there. So, Actually, no, I probably know more Rose Holman folks than ISU folks, to be honest. But, uh, yeah, it's, no it's certainly... Uh, out out on its own uh, <laughs> right by the Illinois border
1: Josiah what you got to kind of point us at one last thing before we go
2: Uh, mostly just to sign off, since we did all this Oregon talk, I just want to say, go Beavers. Hey, look,
1: I tell everybody, Build damn, uh, baby. it was really offensive to me that they sent the University of Florida, this underfunded, tiny Southern school, out to play a bowl game against the the literal chainsaw that is a, I know. As someone a smaller institution, I try to protect these small schools. It's just not fair. Um, <laughs> I just want to point that out. Uh, it's, it's not got, fair. You know, it's you know, it's, it's me and
0: than well. actually, I think the solution to my it's getting too hot, like, uh, to run problems that I I face, you know, in Indiana, visiting people. No, the answer is just move to the Pacific Northwest. Like, uh, I visited up there, and the idea of permanent fall and great beer and great wine and great food, it just sounds like a great time.
1: I I've been to Seattle. I loved it to pieces. If the University of Washington has a, a postdoc position open when I'm done, I'm open to suggestions. I want to work at Microsoft. Um, but uh, for me, I, you know, we are now in uh, spring game season. Uh, I you know, the spring game is an endangered animal. Uh, I want if you have a local spring game, uh, go check it out go sit in even if it's not your team go, go sit down and watch it uh, uh, encourage the young players there, there's guys trying to get time on the field You know, go and just seeing your face will make them go maybe some of this is worth it um, all this struggle in the summers are coming so uh, go and support and, and do what you can to kind of just show the young people that you're behind them if you're listening so that's it from us uh, we want everyone to get out there and as always be your mascot I'm not afraid of